Over the last couple of years, there's been a string of corporate financial scandals. We had Luckin Coffee in China, which was like China's Starbucks, super fast growing. They were faking sales. We had WeWork, where a lot of dodgy stuff wasn't disclosed. Ken Brown is a financial investigations editor. And we had a couple other companies where there was a bunch of debt, billions of dollars in debt that was never accounted for. So there's just been sort of one after another. The scandals Ken's talking about have popped up around the world, from Silicon Valley to the Middle East, and involved everything from a coffee startup to a hospital chain. But one thing they've all had in common, the same accounting firm checking the books, Ernst & Young. Ernst & Young missed a bunch of red flags. There was either missing money or money that wasn't accounted for. And so, you know, that's kind of pretty basic stuff. When you're an auditor, you're supposed to look at these things. It's just a terrible streak for this firm. Ernst & Young's terrible streak has raised larger questions about whether the world of corporate auditing is broken. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, October 19th. Coming up on the show, how big scandals at Ernst & Young's clients have cost investors billions of dollars and exposed flaws in the financial system. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Ernst & Young, which is also known as EY, is one of the biggest accounting firms in the world. Like other accounting firms, Ernst & Young built its reputation behind the scenes, doing the unglamorous work of checking the books for major corporations. Auditing firms are supposed to essentially tell investors that a company's numbers, their profits, their revenue, all that stuff is legit. The auditing firm goes in and they look at all the numbers, which is the basic part, But they're not just looking at spreadsheets and double-checking the math. To conduct an audit, a company like Ernst & Young also has to hit the pavement. They'll go to your warehouse and they'll count your inventory. They'll go to your bank and they say, hey, listen, they tell me they have a million dollars in their bank account. Is the million dollars really there? So it's a pretty thorough look at how a company presents itself and presents its profit and its loss and its investments and how it values the things it owns. Modern auditing has its roots in the Great Depression. You know, before 1929, the stock market was a real Wild West, and there was a whole bunch of rules put in afterwards that were meant to protect investors from being defrauded, from companies making up numbers, from companies saying things that weren't true. Federal government regulations required that if you're a public company, you have to be audited. And so this was all part of the grand effort to make the stock market a more honest place. Ernst & Young spent decades building a reputation as a dependable, honest auditor, and it's paid off. Today, the company audits giants like Amazon, Apple, and Facebook. 
But a big part of Ernst & Young's strategy is to find the next big client. The company has a history of courting startups that are getting ready for an initial public offering, or IPO. An IPO is a huge moment for a startup. When you're going to do an IPO, part of that is you have to have audited financial statements. That is a key element of an IPO in the U.S. And it's the first time that a company's numbers are scrubbed and generally made public. So it's a pretty exciting moment, you know, for investors and for the company. But an IPO can also be a risky moment for a startup. It's the first time a company is opening itself up to public scrutiny. And if there's anything shady on the books, it can prove disastrous for both the startup and the auditor. If you're the auditor, when they go public and then there's an accounting scandal afterwards, it really hurts your credibility because you have told the world, here's this young company that's never been audited before, that you've never seen the numbers before, and we're telling you, these numbers are good. In some recent IPOs, Ernst & Young checked the books and said the numbers were good, when in fact, they weren't. Like in the case of a Chinese startup called Luckin. So Luckin is a Chinese coffee chain. Um, it was founded in 2017, and within you know a year or two, it was a serious competitor to Starbucks in China. Luckin was a coffee chain, but what made it different was a very successful app. And it looked like the tech-forward strategy was working. The company posted soaring sales around the time of its IPO. And then, after the IPO, it was revealed that Luckin was cooking the books. There were $300 million in sales that were found to be faked. What was happening was Luckin was basically making these fake sales to all these basically little-known companies. And that's how Luckin showed that growth. And so the biggest thing EY did wrong was they said the numbers look good. Ernst & Young said it helped uncover the fraud. In response to questions about this and other scandals, Ernst & Young said it stands by its work and that it has high global audit standards. But in the case of Luckin, the Wall Street Journal's reporting shows the auditor missed red flags and only acted after outsiders raised concerns. So how could this have happened to one of the world's biggest auditors? Ken says there are some structural problems with the auditing industry that make it easier for scandals like Luckin to slip by. One of those issues has to do with how auditors get paid. The auditors get paid by the people they audit. So if you hire me to audit you, you're paying me, and I'm supposed to be mean and tough to you, I'm going to be nice because you're my client, right? And so that is a perennial problem. How mean are you going to be and how tough are you going to be on the people who are paying your salary? And that conflict of interest poses particular problems if you're working with young startups. Ernst & Young's strategy has been to get in on these guys and ride them through the IPO and until they become great success stories. And when you say ride them, what do you mean exactly? You know, audit fees do go up because it's tied to revenue. You know, you're in there right at the beginning as companies get bigger. So, you know, when you're auditing Facebook, you're making real money, right? But of course, if your strategy is to get them for the IPO and ride them until they become another Facebook, how tough are you going to be? So this is the risk that EY faces with that strategy. And to be honest, it served them well over a long time period, but it put them at risk and we saw the risks this year. Perhaps the biggest IPO scandal that Ernst & Young was part of involved WeWork, the co-working space startup. 
When WeWork's IPO went bust last year, it was revealed that the company was on the brink of financial collapse, and it needed the IPO money just to stay afloat. But Ernst & Young hadn't pointed any of this out in its audit. In the aftermath, investors wondered why. The idea that EY didn't warn investors that this company was at risk of going bust, essentially. And they didn't say that, and they didn't issue any concern about that. It just a, shows a weakness in their critique of the company. Ernst & Young said that investors were already well aware of WeWork's ambitious growth strategy and how fast it was spending money. But the IPO blow-up raised questions about whether Ernst & Young went easy in its audit of WeWork. And the situation highlighted another issue that plagues the audit world, something called the alumni problem. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. A couple years before WeWork filed for its IPO, Ernst & Young published a promotional video on Twitter, and it featured a guy named Artie Minson. I was lucky enough that people were really a mentor to me when I was coming up through my career. Even though Artie Minson was promoting Ernst & Young, he didn't actually work there anymore. He was the chief financial officer of WeWork. And in the video, Minson credits his career success to the network he built as an auditor. I was making different career choices. There were a number of EY alumni that I bounced ideas off or gave me advice or, or frankly hired me. It's something that it I just was an uncomfortable statement when, you know, Ernst & Young auditors are supposed to be sort of the opponents of a company or critical of a company. So it just left a bad taste. Artie Minson declined to comment, and Ernst & Young declined to comment on whether the video raised concerns about the auditor's independence. But the Minson video wasn't an isolated incident. Ken says this kind of problem has hung over the auditing industry for years. It's something that experts call the alumni problem. And it happens on two levels. If you're a junior-level auditor, odds are that, like Artie Minson when he was young, you're looking at this auditing job as a big networking opportunity. What happens is... The big auditing firms hire thousands and thousands and thousands of college grads every year, and they work for the auditing firms for a few years, and it's tough, grinding work, the low level of these auditing firms. And then they go and work for other companies. That's what their goal is. You get a few years at a big firm, and then you go work for a company. And so there's a perennial problem where, again, another conflict, if I'm a young auditor at Ernst & Young, and I'm looking out for my next job, 
and I'm auditing WeWork, say, I don't have an incentive to be too tough on WeWork. I have an incentive to be really nice to the people who might hire me one day. The second part of the alumni problem happens at the higher rungs of the corporate ladder. When senior-level employees leave an auditing firm like Ernst & Young, they often go to work at companies they once audited. They might join as a CFO or take a spot on the board. And Ken says this can lead to a cozy relationship between auditor and client. There's a bunch of research that shows that when you're an auditor and one of your ex-partners is sitting on the board of a company, you tend to go easier on them. So these close relationships are a problem. WeWork and Luckin are two examples of Ernst & Young clients recently mired in scandal. But there have been others, like NMC Health, a hospital chain in the United Arab Emirates, and a couple of international financial services companies, Wirecard and Finabler. Should Ernst & Young have caught all this stuff, especially when some of it was fraudulent? Well, so you're getting into a deeper issue in accounting. So when you say to an auditing company, and this has been true for decades, hey, there was an accounting fraud here and you missed it. Why did you miss it? The accounting firm will turn around and say to you, our audits are not meant to find fraud. And you look at them and you say, wait a minute, if you're not going to try to find fraud, what is an audit for? If their purpose isn't to find fraud, what is their purpose? Well, that's a good question. So one of the standard defenses for auditing companies in frauds is we were a victim too. They lied to us. There was no way we could have known. And generally, that is true, right? I mean, if you're carrying out a fraud, you're not going to call the auditor over and say, hey, check this out. You're going to lie. That's the nature of it. But, you know, it's been a kind of weak defense. Their purpose is to go through the numbers, to tell you that the company's assets are real, that the company's disclosures are proper, that the company is telling the truth. We're not responsible for finding fraud has been a standard defense for auditing companies for years. But last month, after this latest wave of scandals, Ernst & Young changed course. This was a pretty dramatic thing. Ernst & Young came out and said, auditors should play a bigger role in detecting fraud at companies. They challenged the long-standing practice in the accounting business that they're not supposed to seek out malpractice. And this has, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I've been, you know, covering auditing and accounting scandals for 20 years, and I've never heard an audit company say, basically, we're now going to do more to get fraud. Like, that, that, that was a big turnabout. Ernst & Young says it's redesigning its audit processes with a continuing focus on, quote, developing a culture of professional skepticism. I think they're trying to show that they're, you know, going to be tougher, that they realize there were some weakness. They're not taking blame per se, but they're saying we're going to try to do a better job. And so in some ways, having this sort of tidal wave of problems, it sort of gave them a little bit of religion. And they're saying now we should do what what everyone thinks we've been doing all along. (laughs) But if companies that are being audited are the ones paying the auditors, then who cares? I mean, what's it to Ernst & Young if these scandals are happening, if they're being paid no matter what? Well, if Ernst & Young were to have 20 more scandals involving IPOs in the next year, and some company's going to do an IPO, they're not going to hire EY, right? But these scandals don't just pose a threat to Ernst & Young. They also pose a threat to the overall economy. 
If you're a shareholder, you've lost a bunch of money. I mean, when you tally up what the decline in share prices at these companies post-scandal was, investors in the companies lost about $30 billion. Wow. So that's real. And then there is the cost, which is a hard thing to calculate, but at the cost of a lack of confidence. Financial markets are essentially based on trust, right? I trust that what any company says is true. I trust the numbers. And so when that trust breaks down, people start to get nervous and they don't invest. You know, if I think someone's lying about something, then uh, I'm going to be wary of doing business with them. And so it does slow things down. It gums up the works. That's all for today, Monday, October 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Patricia Kausman, Mark Maurer, and Jing Yang. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.